This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. Alright, I want to start by asking you a question. And I have on the slide part of a phrase. It says, Jesus is... How would you complete that phrase? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Or maybe you think it's complete as it is. Jesus is, full stop. <laughs> there are quite a number of things you can say about Jesus, and I accept all that. What if I asked you to pick out the top three that summarize who Jesus is? You narrow your list down to those top three. I think we'll find that our thoughts would kind of congregate about around a few thoughts about Jesus. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as part of the series, the Creed. And last week we had Taps talk to us about God, God the Father, who is creator of all things, invisible and visible. And this is really an alternative title to what we believe. What we want to impress upon you and upon us is what we believe. Because so often, if things are not said explicitly, we assume things. And every once in a while, it's good to make sure we're on the same page, to make sure we believe the same, the same Jesus. So I want to start off by reading a scripture that is in Luke chapter 24 story you, most of you will know. It's about two disciples on the road to Maus. <clears throat> Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's about 11 kilometers. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Clopas, asked him, are you the only one in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied. they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to heaven. He was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the stable with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let me ask you something as we begin today. Who is Jesus to you? What hopes have you pinned on him? Do you recognize him at work in your life? If he left your family, your church, your home, your workplace, would you miss him? We're told in the passage we just read that as they discussed these things, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. Who is this Jesus? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I find it very interesting that Jesus, having got the opportunity to say something about himself to these guys, didn't choose to demonstrate his power. He didn't say to him, oh, you foolish guys, let me show you what I can do and turn stones into bread. He could have done that. He could have done that. But beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said, to himself, um, to what was said about himself in the scriptures. And this is a warning, a caution to all of us. If, never be involved in an argument or debate about Jesus and religion that is not centered on the Bible. If Jesus himself went to the scriptures to prove who he was, who are you to try and debate apart from the scriptures? So, beginning with Moses, let's start with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So starting in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know then he created light and darkness. He created sky from land, water, and dry land. He created vegetation. And then came sun, moon, and stars. And then all sorts of living creatures. And in verse 26, we get a bit of a shock because God then says, let us make man in our own image. Hang on. Who's us now? I thought we were talking about God. And of course, here we've stumbled upon one of the great mysteries about God, that he is triune, meaning three, and yet he is one. And this has caused over history a lot of confusion for non-Christians and Christians alike. If we go to the beginning of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. You see how John is even trying to bring us to understand that God is Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And through Jesus, the world was created. It's not easy for us to understand. But what's clear here is that Jesus is God. One of the most amazing things about the Bible is that it was, though it was written over many you know, time periods and by different people, it is consistent with God and it is consistent within itself. So we can do this. We can go to a scripture and say, what does it say about God? And go to another scripture and say, what does it say about God? And bring the two together. So we have no reason to doubt that John and Moses are talking about the same God. The God who is one, the God who is us, Jesus who is God, same God. And we know definitely from what John writes further on in verse 14 that this same word became flesh. So we're talking about Jesus, definitely. So paraphrasing, I'd say in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's not enough for you. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This was read earlier, and we sang about it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Might seem like I'm taking a lot of time on this Jesus who is God. But it is actually quite important. In fact, the Nicene Creed, which Taps read a part of last week, was drawn up specifically to address this issue of whether Jesus was God or not. The rest of it, of course, was to complete what Christians believe about Jesus, about Christianity, about God, about the Holy Spirit, and all that. But the real issue was whether Jesus was God. You see, at that time, it was around the 4th century, there was a man named Arius, who was a prominent bishop somewhere in North Africa. And he had begun to preach that Jesus was actually created. He didn't always exist he wasn't always there, but was created somewhere along the way. And they violently opposed him. Quite publicly, the story goes, they opposed him. And over 300 bishops sat down and put together the set of beliefs that we now know as the Nicene Creed. And so you find in that creed that there are explicit statements that say, he is begotten of the Father, begotten and not made. Now, to beget means to birth something 
of a similar substance to yourself. Much like parents beget a child, and that child has similar features to their parents. But we know that Jesus is not just similar to God. We read about it. He is the exact representation of who God is. And we also know from other scriptures like Colossians 2 that the fullness of God dwells in him. So Jesus is God. There are some people over the ages who have tried to reconcile this triune God and try to explain it away. We had an analogy by Taps last week. Some have said, for this to work, for Jesus to be three and one at the same time, they cannot have equal footing. So some have relegated Jesus to something of less of a God than God the Father. Right? A bit like Arius was doing. And we have faiths like the Jehovah's Witnesses who acknowledge Jesus, but they don't quite give him the same place as God. And we need to be aware of that because this is not what the scripture teaches. There are some who have said, well, maybe there isn't one God. Maybe there are three separate gods, like a corporation or a company of gods. And they're all equal. And we have the Mormons who particularly hold to that belief, among other things. Who say there are three personages, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Father, Jesus the Holy Spirit, but separate and again, this is not what we read in the scriptures. And you may think, well, uh, those are clearly off track. But even in church today, there are some people who in their minds, whether by mistake or willingly, acknowledge God as having three states. So the same God, one God, great, we're agreeing it's one God. But who takes on different forms according to what he wants to do? It's called oneness Pentecostalism. Where God the Father, if he needs to do something, can be Jesus, like when he came to earth. If he needs to minister to us today, then he transforms into the Holy Spirit. But that's also not what we read in the scriptures. Because we have issues like when Jesus was baptized, where all three persons of the Holy Spirit actually interacted. Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist. God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. So we have a triune God. And in trying to get our minds around him, we can actually get pretty confused. That's normal. That's because we are human. And Taps gave us a hint last week to say, look, at some point you have to say by faith, it is as it is because God says it is. This part of eternity, we may never really get to understand what it means for God to be one and God to be three. But if God says it is, then it is. So the scriptures that we read earlier quite clearly reveal that Jesus is God. What does it mean for you and me? So what if he's God? Well, the first thing is that we have full assurance of his supremacy. Colossians 1.18, I read that earlier. It says, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. There is no higher power than him. Whether in heaven, whether on earth, whether under the earth, 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the final authority in all things. When he says you're free, you're free. When he says you're healed, you're healed. When he says you're saved, you're safe indeed. When he says it is well, it is well indeed. No one can come against him and change that for you. He is the final authority in all things. We also have full assurance of his power. That same power with which he created the world is available for you and me today. Job 42.2 says, I know you can do all things and that no purposes of yours can be thwarted. Nothing is impossible for God. I know we say this a lot, but do we believe it? When we're praying for the sick, do we believe that nothing is impossible for God? The Bible says when his voice thunders, the cedars of Lebanon, they break. That the mountains skip like calves before him. Nothing is impossible for God. I'll say that again. What he has done before, he can do again. His ability is beyond our wildest imagination. Are there red seas in your life? He can divide them. Are there mountains in your life? He can level them. Are there valleys in your life? He can fill them up. Are there storms in your life? Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. Are you sick? Are you physically or emotionally tired? Are you weak in your faith? Is your marriage struggling? Is your work situation impossible? Are you out of a job? Are you lacking clothes and shelter and food and a secure home? There is nothing that is impossible for God. Folks, we must believe this because it is true. In Jesus, who is God, we also have full assurance of his mercy. In our life group, we shared a bit about God's mercy this past week. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Isn't that amazing? That the God of all creation remembers that you and I are dust. He knows our limitations. He knows where we are weak. He knows where we are struggling. And he takes that into account. He is familiar with our sufferings. He was tempted and tried just like we are, yet was without sin. Praise God. We have full assurance of his grace. It's a familiar chapter. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, not only is Jesus able to do something about our problems, he is willing to do something about our problems. He cares. He acts towards us not as one under compulsion, but one who is in love with us. So how do we respond to these things? How can we not give him the praise? How can we not worship him 
Jesus, who is God. Second thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning is that Jesus is Christ. And Christos is a word in Greek which means Messiah. He is the Messiah. And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. Now, for 21st Christians like us, we may find it quite difficult to understand that people would even doubt that Jesus is Christ. In the New Testament, in our Bibles, Jesus and Christ and Messiah are used alongside, and they're used interchangeably. That we don't stop to think what it actually means that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, for a while, I thought that Jesus Christ was his full name. Christ was his surname. You may be in that boat today. What does it really mean to say Jesus is Christ? Try and think of the guys that lived and walked with Jesus at the time. It would have been quite difficult for them to look at Mary and Joseph and their child and his brothers and sisters and say, oh, this Jesus is the Messiah. He was born in their own backyard. Of course, some of them would have known the miracles that he performed amongst them. But it seemed to us as we read the Bible that there are some people who have the ability to perform miracles by some spirits. So it didn't necessarily mean that he was the Christ. It must have been quite a struggle. And the more familiar you are with someone, the more difficult it is to acknowledge that there is something other than what you can see. That's why in the scriptures read this morning, when Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? They said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It is something that is supernatural to be able to accept that Jesus is the Christ. So who is Jesus the Christ? And if we go back to the story I read at the beginning, we get a clue about who the Messiah was. Verse 21 of Luke 24. Because they said to Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So this was not something that the two disciples made up at the time. It wasn't even just fashionable in Jerusalem at the time. For centuries, the Jews had been expecting a Messiah. And this was because it was prophesied from days of old. They were taught it from an early age. It was taught in their synagogues. Young girls would grow up wondering if actually when they first fell pregnant, this was going to be Jesus in their womb. So they were expecting a liberator, a savior, a messiah. And in verse 25, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? When we look at the scriptures, the first reference to a savior is actually in Genesis 3, verse 15. This was right after the fall of man, and God was judging the serpent. And he said, and I'll put enmity between you and the, and the woman, 
and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Her offspring or her seed will crush your head. So, actually, because of this enmity, people have been looking, or humanity has been looking forward to a time where the devil and his evil schemes will be crushed once and for all. So if we fast forward through history, through the Bible, we'll learn a number of things about the Messiah because the prophecies became more and more specific as time went on. I'll just rush us through. I won't go into too much detail. But there are some important prophecies which you must know about. In Genesis 12:1, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we have a first impression that the Messiah will be descended of Abraham. The second thing was that the Messiah would be of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49.10, Jacob is blessing his children. And he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The third thing that we know about the Messiah would be that he would sit on David's throne. And there are many scriptures alluding to this. In Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. The Messiah would be born of a virgin, and we know this from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Some are quick to point out, actually, about this prophecy that a virgin could have referred to any young girl. It seemed like in Jewish culture back then, you could refer to any young girl as a virgin. But Matthew is at pains to explain to us that Jesus' conception was supernatural. It was of the Holy Spirit. And actually, when he discovered that his wife was pregnant, he looked at her and said, Ah, now what's this? And we are told that he was planning to secretly put her away. So we know and we believe that Jesus was born of an actual virgin. Very important. The Messiah would restore Israel and would be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob. So God was kind of expanding the vision now and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Well, we know from reading the New Testament that all these prophecies and others besides were fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. There are over 400 prophecies about Jesus, scholars think, that were actually fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. We know that he was born of the line of David. He was born of Mary, a virgin. We know that he lived a perfect life, which qualified him to be an all-sufficient savior. We know he performed many miracles and was powerful in word and deed. We know he died on the cross. We know he rose again. And we know he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we know that he is coming back again. 
Because the prophecies say he's coming back again. And he himself said he's coming back again. He says in John 14, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me also, that you can be where I am. It is as important to acknowledge the facts about Jesus as it is to believe their significance. Because the facts validate the prophecies. And the prophecies prove that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. So what does it mean for you and me that Jesus is the Messiah? We have in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, full assurance of his love. John 3.16, you know this one. For God so loved the world and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The coming of, earth to, of Jesus to earth for our sake is the greatest act of love the world has ever known. Do you feel unloved? Do you feel out of place? Unworthy? You don't fit in? Jesus' love for each and every one of us was proactive and unconditional. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. In Jesus, who is the Messiah, we have full assurance of our salvation. John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. We know that the work of Christ was complete on the cross. No one can take away from it. No one can add to it. If you believe on him, you can be saved. In Jesus, who is the Messiah, we have full assurance of our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. It's because it's no longer us who live but Christ who lives in us. So daily as we allow God to work in us, we become more and more like Jesus. Hallelujah. We have full assurance of our future in him. Paul writes to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Praise God, he is faithful. Praise God that he promised us all these things and that, we prom that what he promised we can believe as fact because he is the Messiah. Our response is to believe and put our trust in him. It is to live our lives for him with his life as a perfect example for us. The third thing and last thing that I want to impress upon us today is that Jesus is Lord. We, we sang a song earlier on. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. It's a very nice song. But a very tricky song. It's easy to sing. But do we really mean it? Will you really go to the ends of the earth for him? Not unless you accept him as the Lord of your life. Peter, in his great sermon at Pentecost, was trying to explain what had just happened. And he says, uh, the prophets 
Joel said this, and this is actually what's happening amongst us. And he ended up by saying, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You may believe Jesus is God. You may actually believe Jesus is the Messiah. But is he Lord? When Cleopas and his friend hurried back to Jerusalem and told the other disciples about Jesus that same night, they said, it is true, the Lord has appeared to Simon. They realized that Jesus himself, the same Jesus who had walked and talked with them, the same Jesus who had performed miracles amongst them, the same Jesus who had died and was buried, that same Jesus had risen and talked to them. How could they not call him Lord? He suddenly was not a God out there, creator of heaven and earth. He suddenly was not just the promised one, the Messiah, but he was Lord. And so they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, what was just a head knowledge was confirmed in their hearts. Can I suggest to you that one way you can know if you truly relate to something or someone is that you have feelings about that something or someone. I know people in this room who feel very strongly about soccer and soccer teams and so on. And they're emotional when things happen to their teams. People can get very attached to their food and their taste buds come alive and their bellies get full when they talk about food and their emotions attached to their food. People feel strongly about TV programs. You know that? They watch them. They spend time with their TV programs and become one, as it were. And they feel very strongly about those TV programs. How do you feel about Jesus? Do you feel strongly about him at all? Jesus cannot be Lord of your life from a distance. You need to walk with him, to talk with him. You need to know what he likes and dislikes. You need to know what he requires of you. We need daily to cast our cares on him. We need to allow him to be in control. Being Lord means that he has full authority over your life. You are completely submitted to his will. In fact, there's a church in the book of Revelation, the church in Laodicea, you know the story, whose only fault, as far as we read there, is that they were neither hot nor cold. They were indifferent. I want to challenge us this morning. I want to pray for us, for 2018 going forward, that we would not be indifferent to Jesus. That we would feel something about Jesus. That we would walk closer and be quite emotionally attached to Jesus. That's how you can know whether he really is Lord of your life. So what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Matthew 16, 24 
Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In Jesus, who is Lord, we have full assurance of his authority. So when giving the Great Commission at the end of his ministry, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's not a damp and heavy lordship that Jesus gives. He actually has authority. And that's reassuring, my friends. We have full assurance of his protection. Jesus praying for his disciples. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. If he is Lord of your life, your safety is his concern. If he is Lord of your life, you must have a constant relationship with him. And we know this one, John 15, 5, he is the vine, we are the branches. If you remain in me and I renew, you, you will bring much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus as Lord is our perfect example to follow. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus is God. We must worship him. Jesus is Christ. We must believe in him. And Jesus is Lord. We must obey him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are all these things and others besides to us. Thank you that you are God. We worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. And you are the promised one, the Messiah. We put our trust in you, God. We want to live our lives for you as Lord of our lives. We want to acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, in this place this morning. And say, speak to us, stir us up, give us zeal for your kingdom. Make us Christians who are alive for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.